This song's about growing the best potatoes in the world. From spud to bud to prevent a dud Before you load the planter smiling Those rules of thumb you might think are dumb But they keep those taters piling They keep those taters piling Take it away, Dennis and Steve. Thanks, Snop and Tom, for the intro. It's uh, April 28th. Welcome, everyone, to the Vegetable Beat, live weekly roundtable discussion during the growing season for vegetable producers in the Great Lakes and Midwest region. I'm your host this week, Dennis Van Dyke. Mike Renke is our Zoom engineer, uh, pulling the levers in the background behind the curtain. Topic today is everything uh, seed potatoes. So who better to have on to talk about seed potatoes than a seed potato expert, Steve Johnson from the University of Maine. Steve, welcome. Really excited to have you on today. Hey, thanks. That's the first time I've had a song intro. <laughs> so um, now I can die a happy man. <laughs> That's good to know. Uh, we want to get your questions as well. If you're listening live via Zoom, uh, you can submit those at glveg.net slash listen or on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash veggiebeat. You can submit the questions there in the chat, question and answer box, or as Facebook questions or comments. Uh, we'll try to answer them as we go, and if not, we'll uh, get to them at the end. CCA credits available for the live listeners this week. If you are in Michigan, RUP certification credits available as well. If you like CCA or RUP credits, uh, just put your name and email in the chat or in the Facebook comments, and we can uh, follow up after that. So with that uh, housekeeping out of the way, let's, uh, I guess, get right into it. Um, Around here in Ontario, anyways, planting's starting to, to ramp up over the next week or so. Um, so really excited and timely to chat about some seed-related topics um, with you, Steve. I want to kind of start at the beginning, I guess, for a, for a grower. Um, so let's say I'm a grower of, of potatoes. I, I've received my load um, of seed. What, what sort of things should I be looking for to start in my load that's just come into the, into the lot? Well, um, I have a 5% rule that all the problems, if they add up more than 5%, you ought to start taking a step back and, and question that load. And you know what, hopefully you know what the virus level is before you get it. Um, it may or may not have black leg or bacterial pathogens, but fusarium uh, is an issue. If you're seeing fusarium in, in the seed, I have seen more this year than we're accustomed to because we were so dry last fall that honestly we couldn't get the seed to suberize. It was too dry to suberize. And this has happened once before. And, and with that, you'll see it on pressure bruises. If you have a, a pressure bruise, if you have fusarium, if you have an extensive amount of rhizoctonia okay. on there, yeah. misshapen tubers, um, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Do you recommend taking uh, tuber temps at all when you're, when you're pulling it off? Do you think that's useful information to have? I think tuber temps are always important information. You, I, I'm a data collector, just out of habit um, in my life and in my job. So I think it's a good thing. I definitely think you need to deal with the soil temperatures. But once, you know, that, that once, which if you're receiving seed and handling it, the temperatures are important because it's going to get banged up and roughed up a little bit, irrespective of how well you handle it, it's going to get roughed up a little bit and getting the temperatures to where you have good superization temperatures. Um, that's important. Right. Okay. Uh, you mentioned 5% rule. Is there any other sort of red flags where if you see it, you take a step back and really start to question, I guess, any other red well, flags? 
Yeah, a quarantinable pest, uh, things like ring rot or wart or, I mean, something like that, 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 that you hope you never see, um, obviously that. Um, common scab, it's maybe present, but if you've got 5% is, you know, one in 20. That's a bit. And, I, and when I talk about Rhizoc, I'm not saying one Rhizoc sclerotia for 20 tubers. I'm talking a, a tuber that's a third covered with Rhizoc, a lot of Rhizoc on it. And that's, that's going to struggle. Okay. I've been uh, hearing a lot recently about physiological age a little bit in relation to seed. Um, I guess for some background, can you sort of describe what, what physiological age of potato seed is kind of to start? Well, physiological age of potato seed is, is one of these things that, that I've been working on a long time. And unfortunately, there aren't distinct categories between them. You don't get, this is a 10 and 10 to 20, it's the next one. But you start off with dormant seed that will not sprout. And it goes into young seed, and it may be very, very big, one sprout coming out. Um, that's where you get, Shepley was famous for that. It's where you get these four and five pound potatoes out of one plant and, and that. And they look good for the fair, but nobody really wants them other than that. Um, they go to middle age, which, uh, which all of the, the, the eyes were breaking at the same time, rather than just the ape where the apical dominance has left it. So you not just having the tips of them, you got them all. You go into old seed that you're starting to get very skinny little spaghetti type sprouts. You may get branching, you may get multiple sprouts out of all the eyes. And the last stop is step is what we call no top, uh, where it is physiologically aged to the point that you're getting small tubers um, formed. And they don't come out of the ground. They the sprouts go, make tubers, and they that's it. Right. So you, you basically push them too far, and they're done. Oh, basically. Yeah. yeah. The, the young potatoes will be a week to ten days longer in the field than the older potatoes, and the 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 very old potatoes could be as much as two weeks, and they'll set heavier. In numbers, they'll set a lot of small tubers, which is not really what anybody's looking for now. So they'll grow differently, and there's reasons why you're you're looking for certain um, uh, types of seed. Is there an easy way to check for that in a load when it comes in, or is it no. worth checking that? No. Yeah, we're checking, but no. Um, pretty much the, the physiological age, assuming everyone stores perfectly, which I know everybody in. Ontario and everybody in Michigan does. Once in a while, there's some other places that don't quite. Um, it most of the stress is the, from the year before, and on a typical average, whatever that means, growing <laughs> season, um, uh, you know, we're okay. But when we have um, extremely hot um, conditions or we have drought, and drought is the number one factor for stressing the seed with those seeds you, you'll often see pressure bruises on those and anything you do rough handling um, storage that the temperatures will go up and down and fluctuate like that will stress the seed once once they sprout they've started that stress if they get de-sprouted and they have to re-sprout, that's another stress um, level for them. None of this you can really see, which is why I always encourage people to have a relationship with their seed growers. The seed grower will welcome. It's not an intrusion. Um, he wants you for a customer or she wants you for a customer. Go check out what they're doing on their farm. Talk to them. Great advice. I think, um, well, actually, we had an audience question come in um, that might might fit in here. 
could seed pieces age after planting them in, in low soil temperatures to produce little tubers or? Seed pieces will continue to age um, throughout their time, but I don't feel they're going to produce um, no top if they weren't destined to do that anyway. Okay. Did that happen before they planted it? Right. So it's more of the year beforehand that leads to the stresses and the necessarily seed, one shock. And the seed recipient handling and the planter handling. And if they were cut and then warmed up and cooled down and left on a truck and all sorts of brutal things that some people, not in Ontario and not in Michigan, do to potatoes. <laughs> For sure. Um, so I think normally when you th talk about early generation potatoes, I'm not sure what the classification you have um, in Maine is, but uh, like E2E3s um, for Canada. So earlier generation seed, we typically think, you know, it's more vigorous. It's, it should be earlier and more, um, more healthy. Um, does that relate at all to physiological age or is it completely separate? It, it is separate. Um, there is a lot of value in having seed closer to tissue culture um, than that. And um, North America, which includes Canada these days, uh, I used to chat with my uh, Canadian friend that when our previous president was there, it was like living upstairs, your downstairs neighbor's a meth lab. And so uh, apparently we, we've righted that ship a little bit, but um, uh, it, it, it is an issue um, on there. And, and I think that, that um, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, okay. I want to move on to holding a little bit. We kind of touched on it a little bit, um, but let's say, so I've received the load. I'm going to hold it for a couple of weeks before I start planting. Is there a temperature range I should hold it at? Do you have sort of a holding uh, regime that you'd recommend? Yes. I actually have a fact sheet on seed um, seed cutting and handling that I've got separate temperatures uh, listed on there. Again, young seed, you can do a lot with and, and abusing it is not the right term, but it has a lot more flexibility on the temperature that you hold. If you have old seed, my recommendation is not to pre-cut it because if you pre-cut it and, and that gets tough right now because the growers are getting bigger and they just don't have enough to fresh cut or cut a day ahead. But some that, that the old seed that they're pre-cutting um, a month or so ahead of time, that's going to really, really add stress on, on that um, because you've warmed it up to handle it, to cut it and treat it maybe, and then cool it back down. And then you have to warm it up again to plant it. So normally the, the older seed, I would leave it as cool as possible till you warm it up, cut it and go there. Middle-aged seed, you can probably pre-cut a fortnight. Did I say that right, Canadians? We can uh, we can uh, do the, the translation, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> and uh, um, with young seed, you could do it a month or more. Okay. And, and I just can't believe you're going to have um, young seed from the Northeast, you know, New Brunswick, um, Maine, our area here, our seed, we were all droughty. Right. And the, the provinces, Atlantic Canada was as dry as Maine. Right. We're just going to push everything sort of down the, down the, uh, mm -hmm. the aging. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's say I've, I've held it. It's cool. I warmed it to cut it. Um, cooled it back down or I warmed it to plant it, but then I get rained out and it's a big rain. I'm out for like a week. Do, what would you recommend? Sort of, do you, do you cool it back down and then warm it back up? Do you sort of keep it warm and hope it doesn't sprout so much? Do you have a recommendation for that scenario? 
Because it would depend on on what how old the seed is, I guess. Well, once you've warmed it up and you're ready to go, I would probably sit on it at whatever temperature you have without oscillating it again. But for God's sakes, get it off the truck and and move air across it to some extent because um, those in that situation that get left on the truck, those self-loading on bodies, they need a pump to get it out. Right. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, so are there variety differences in terms of heating, cooling regimes? Like should you warm up all your varieties before you plant them or does it matter depending on the variety? It does. There are shorter and longer dormancy potatoes. I would say the shorter the dormancy potato, the more critical the physiological age is in many cases. Um, the, and especially in the spring, there are some potatoes Rusted Burbank for one that is has a pretty wide range of what it's happy under, and some of them I'm thinking of um, uh, Yukon Gold. Uh, you look at that wrong, and it's not happy. And so there, and, and the growers will know. And if they're try, if they're out trying a new variety, they're getting seed from somewhere that seed grower will have has some local experience with that too. And that's and that's a dialogue that I think needs to happen. We had a, uh, a question come in from Facebook that might fit here as well. Um, how do you determine seed piece age? Does harvest date sort of become day zero and you count from there? Or you sort of touched on it a little bit with the drought conditions, but do you sort of everything that happens after the harvest? Or Well, I've seen some European literature and they're starting to look at day zero and, and, and doing that. To be honest, um, I look at, for me... 15 of September is day one or 15 June, because that's the growing season. And you could have a beautiful growing season and a terrible growing season and you're, and you harvest them in the same, you know, day, year apart, but they're totally different going in. And there, uh, the number of days um, to break dormancy uh, uh, will change. Uh, we had some uh, discussion uh, practicing here before the, uh, Facebook live thing um, that where our breeder collects sprout information and over 20 years, um, the average, I think is if my memory is right, 178 days for Burbank during 1995, when we had a severe drought, it was 105 days. That's a huge difference. And Superior, which is a shorter season, it averaged 100, 100, 110 days, something like that. It was 60, just over 60. And it was actually wow. to break dormancy in December, wow. and which is now what do you do with some sprout inhibitor and that stuff? So varieties do play a big, um, uh, a big a factor in the 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 physiological age and the reaction to it. And the same growing season, a Burbank is going to have be less stressed than a, a superior, say. Right. But they'll both be stressed. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, so if you're if the sprouts get away from you a little bit, do you would you recommend always desprouting seed potatoes if they get a little long, one, two inch and up? Oh. Oh, well, this is a quiz question, I'm sure. This is always, you never say yes to always because it always doesn't happen. Um, I look at that and I, I say you're de-sprouting them. If you're technically, if you're pipping, if you're an eighth inch, 16th of an inch, you're starting to sprout, 
those are those aren't going to knock off anyway the generally speaking the planter will probably knock off a lot of the the sprouts that are half inch and less just going through and doing that but if they're up to three inches they are not going to flow through a cutter they are not going to flow through a planter and um, they, they definitely have to be desprouted through there i think that generally speaking if they're sprouting enough to be desprouted broken off the handling is going to pretty much take care of that right. the, and if you have to you tip up say you got your seed in a bin and you turn your bin upside down and the seed sits up there because it's so sprouted in the mass that's probably not what you want to use <laughs> Just, i'm going to take a leap here yeah yeah that sounds about right <laughs> i want to move into cutting a little bit um so i say i receive a load it's all oversized or, or large tubers so i'm going to have to cut it um, sort of what's the first step in that process? First step would be to get a different seed grower <laughs> or communicate with the grower and tell them to shuff those big boys out and send them someplace because you don't need to, we call it a six cut. Um, what I call a two cut seed is one seed piece with one cut. You cut it into two pieces as a, you know, as a two cut, but it's really only cutting the potato once. You get a 10 ounce potato it's you're going to get slabs you're going to get slivers and you're going to look like pickles some of them you know the spears coming through there those yeah. need to be graded out and the the more even your flow through is um there the the new the better off you're going to be the new seed cutters are really amazing they do a terrific job but they can be stressed the, no, the number one problem with the seed is the flow rate you can take a well calibrated um, seed cutter screw it up by putting too much through too fast right dropping that back a little bit is the best advice that, that can be given just don't you know because you can do so many tons an hour doesn't mean you should right right um how do you sort of figure out how many cuts cuts you're going to make you're always grading it out or how do you how do you sort of determine that well um, up to the grower a while so I, that's easy to do that but you're looking for around an ounce and three quarter to two and a quarter ounce seed piece so if you're looking in in a, a three ounce piece we can talk ounces we don't have to go grams here. yeah ounces is fine yeah <laughs> we can do the canadian for conversion <laughs> after calculation my head live so um a three ounce piece you really don't want to cut in half because if you cut it perfectly in half you got two one and a half ounce pieces and and i'm a fan of big seed you know i don't want them that big so i would plant a whole a whole seed of that normally looking at the load i would like to have a load that probably well three quarters of it are between ounce and three quarter and two and a quarter after they're cut which means okay. majority are whole that size or double that size you know they're, they're all yeah four to six ounces, you know, in that, you know, uh, three and a half to five and a half ounces that, that, that range. Cause, cause that to me has a much better, um, much better look. If you cut them and the size are more even, they will flow better through the planter, whether you have a pick or a cup, mm -hmm. right? you've got belt and clamp planters these days too. I mean, whatever right. it is, it will, it will plant better. Right. If it's more consistent. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so, We've warmed the seed. We've cut it. Um, is there, you rather store it warm or cool after there? Is there, should you cut it and then within a day or two plant it, leave it for three days? You know, do you, you prefer to pre-cut it um, a couple of weeks beforehand? Is sort of some suggestions on, on cutting? 
Well, sure. Uh, first of all, you got to calibrate the seed cutter. And, and if you've got a different variety, some of them are better round white than long white cutters and that, but going through and taking a count and a measurement and, and if you don't have a balance like I do and can't set a big curve up in an hour to do it there, again, you can do a count per bucket and do this, but it's really important to, to not just decide that's looking about right, but to measure it there. So um, once I've cut the seed, ideally I'd like to have the bulk of it planted within um, a day or two. Okay. Um, some potatoes are wet cut mm -hmm. or dry cut. The wet cut ones sometimes, well, very frequently, um, they, they um, are benefited by a, a day or two in holding because that dries the surface off a little bit and they don't stick together. Some of the wet ones, they basically stick as a clump going through there right. and, and that. So normally the variety will determine um, that as well as the seed age and going through that as well too. Right. So I'll jump on that note. Uh, do you recommend all cut seed get treated with some sort of seed treatment or? Well, here we're back. Or does to, it not necessarily um, matter? The answer is always no when it's, it's always false when it's there. Uh, generally speaking, the um, people are planning in Ontario now. She's cold. Um, we've, I, I have been here. We've had a 40-day difference in seed planting and a three-day difference in emergence. Right. They're basically sitting in a storage, except for that storage is crawling with all sorts of stuff trying to eat the potato. So <laughs> um, I would I would would always want to treat the early and the first planted one um, okay. for that. Later yeah. planted, it depends on the market and what's going on. Um, again, you're treating for fusarium and and um, that. Uh, is different than treating for rhizoctonia because rhizoctonia is going to like it cooler as well too. Sometimes we will, for us, our we'll start planting the um, first, generally the first week in May, in in earnest the second week. On the research station here, we rarely plant before the 13, 14, 15th of May. We push into June. If you're at the last Memorial Day and American Memorial Day, and and the first of June, you might be looking to skip a seed treatment because they're going to come out of the ground so fast anyway because our soil is probably five six degrees warmer than it was right. there. So yep. that's the only time that I would probably um, skip it. I, I'm I've been studying seed treatments for thirty plus years, and and they do show a lot of value. Right. I'd like to get into sort of your, um, your real niche a little bit now, um, talk about disease a bit. Um, I would say lots of talk about sort of soft rot and different soft rot pathogens the last, I don't know, couple of years, decade or so. It. You haven't heard, eh? No. no. <laughs> um, are there sort of obvious signs of problems in a load coming off the truck that you're going to have a soft rot issue or? Um. The recent new pathogens, Pectobacterium parmateriae, Dickiodine thickula, the seed looks brilliant and it's infested, not in, you know, technically probably isn't infected. It tends to be around the eyes and waiting for the potato, but it's not right. inside the potato as a general rule. If it is, it's not breaking it down. Right. Old school block leg, um, Pectobacterium keratovrum name was changed recently. I'm a, Anyway, um, 
yeah uh that will go in from the stem end and you you might see some dampness and if you cut it you can see it um that um if you see that that does not bode well for the low right that does not bode well and that was old black leg yeah yeah or, yeah. or if you see black leg it yeah it's not going to be the new strains we're dealing with. It's going to be one that your daddy dealt with kind of okay. thing. Yeah. And those we historically only saw any black leg in seed that was generation seven, you, you know, where it should, you know, mm-hmm. they kept it on too long. Right. And, you know, and a windblown rain and something like that. But because, because most people don't realize that the test tube babies were uh, done for black leg. They were not done for viruses. They work really well for viruses, but that was to attack black leg, you know, because they would do stem cuttings and the, the tubers would, would be too close and the bacteria would sit there. So, yeah. um, you know, too far away from tissue culture, there's a lot of issues and black legs, one of them. Okay. So if you're seeing a breakdown off the truck, it's most likely the older bacterium. And doesn't matter what it is. This can't be good. Yeah. So, but with the newer ones, you're most likely to see what in the field emergence issues generally. You can see emergence issues. Okay. Um, the parts of um, Israel will call it a slow wilt because it tends to to wilt the whole season. It tends to mm. express itself. And I don't know if it's a low titer issue or it's spreading or whatever it is at that point. So, yes, and it likes it warmer than pecto, which was always a cooler. The old school block is, is it was a cooler pe- problem. This like it warm to hot. Right. Okay. Interesting. Uh, do you recommend sending samples in for testing? Is it worth sort of taking, taking testing? Is that something the seed growers would do or the grower would do if they're worried about it? Is um, it worth their time, I guess? Well, for those that weren't on the planet, in, you know, in, uh, four or five years ago, um, there were massive losses, massive losses there. And we started a DICIA testing um, protocol and program to do that. And that pr- did a terrific job culling out loads, Get, getting lots out that this this lot you shouldn't reproduce that lot and that has done a great deal to reduce the dickia we now see more parmentaria now which is later season you think you're doing well and all of a sudden it melts in in august right. so now there's a lot less of that testing done than there used to be because it's less of an issue and in the last five years we've learned a lot we're gained a lot about it and it yeah. was you know, it, it was, we didn't know, you know, we're working for, coming from a point of no information. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think like if you're cutting seed, are you spreading the the bacterial soft rots in the load if you're cutting your seed or are there differences in the species at all? Yeah. And that's the first thing that, that, that was as well. We're, we, we made a mess by cutting it and, and I spent, um, three years and I couldn't get it to spread. I had a colleague in North Dakota that, you know, we're both looking at each other saying, Steve, it's a bacteria. I go, I know, but it's not spreading. So he tried it. He couldn't do it. He did it in a different state. We did it at a commercial level. We couldn't, I mean, you know, we couldn't get it to, to spread. So Dickia um, does not spread during cutting. The parmentaria, I will. Okay. That's a, that, that acts like black leg, you know, the, the old school black leg, which will spread. Yeah as well too yeah okay so, so still disinfesting the seed cutter is always a good plan yeah uh every day after every load does it uh give any recommendations on that yeah every day and yeah. between lots slash. okay 
which would be varieties and lots. And yeah. you've you've got your seed, his seed, and the other seed. I clean it in between the seed lots because they they're all the same variety, but they're not the same. Okay. Uh, finally, I want to get into a little bit about seed treatment. Um, we talked a little bit about cut seed and, uh, and treating. So treat early, maybe not later once the soil temperature is up. Is it the same for whole seed? Is there a difference between cut and whole seed that you recommend? Yeah. Um, whole seed is pretty, pretty much the same um, through that because um, it, it's banged around and fusarium's looking for a wound to get in. And that's, that's what you're looking there. And it will get rhizoc as well, too, which is another thing one treats for. Right. Okay. Um, I know here in Canada, um, we've recently lost a lot of our dry seed treatment products and, and there's been a real push to go or forced to uh, push to go to liquid seed treatments. Um, is there a big difference in how you handle seed after a dry versus liquid seed treatment? Do you, do you prefer one over the other? Oh yeah. I have big preference. Every year we continue to have seed treatment dust. I'm surprised. I mean, there. Anybody that's worked in the, the the building, the warehouse, it's a respiratory issue. I mean, it's just a mess, and it's a worker exposure issue. It really is a problem. And so, um, I see a time when we will not have dusts going on, and um, I don't think that's a bad thing um, environmentally and for the workers and exposure there. Liquids you can treat faster than you can. And, sure. and, and you can meter it accurately. The dust, you don't meter accurately, which is why there's dust floating around everywhere. Okay. Uh, the, the seed treatment, the liquid seed treatments can be dicey on potato that, ha- that have been desprouted because it will get into the sprout. Some of the materials, they okay. can be a little dicey um, on, on cut seed that's old on sometimes on that they just have to know think about what you're doing more doing that than where the old dust that you put a wheelbarrow under the auger duster and you just shovel it back into the box and you know there's dust floating around you know that's um those days need to end (laughs) you know i mean just from a a a a health standpoint right i think that's a lot of the reason that we've we're losing them as well is that uh, worker exposure uh as they go through reevaluation here um, so moving into liquid, is there sort of a big mistake that growers will make as they go from dry to liquid? Is there, is there sort of, you know, a big red flag that growers may, may make with liquids? Yeah. Um, a little bit more is a little bit better because that's always a mistake. And the liquid is, is especially on cut surfaces and on the eyes, it, the distrib- distribution is much better. And putting just a little bit more in there. Now, and Mancozeb, as a liquid, does not play well with anybody else, okay. generally speaking. And that can that can cause um, some issues. If you're doing that and you're little unsure, a jar test. Put the material in a jar and shake it and see if it forms a nice gel or it just flows. If it forms a nice gel, you're going to be cleaning out lines. But the the flow rate and not, not stressing the table is important in um, in the, the liquid treatment. Right. Okay. Great info. Um, I'll, anyone that's joining us live, I'll open up the, uh, the questions. If you have any questions and answers, you can type them in the chat or add them to, uh, to Facebook. Um, so I'll give a couple uh, couple seconds uh, for anyone to, uh, to put in any burning questions that they may have. Uh, Steve, again, really appreciate it. Um, 
you sort of mentioned the drought last year affecting seed. Is there anything else you're really that's on your radar for this coming year? Well, um, prices always make up for low yields. Um, those that are contracted generally are in better shape on average and good years because they can go to the bank with a contract with the processors. I said that right? Processors? Yeah, yeah. I'm working on it. I got to say that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, looking at, at, at trying to rebound, I mean, our yields were down 20% and our, our seed yields were down, which seeds tight there. And I'm afraid that there's going to be seed planted that people would rather not. And so right. um, the, for the, in, an interesting point for the second year in my career that I never thought I would do in a row, I recommended zero late blight applications, none. Wow. We haven't had any in the region. We haven't had any in the district. Um, you know, we haven't had any for three or four years. We were also dry, very dry. And um, um, so I'm looking that um, that's one thing that we don't have to worry about the, the late blight on seed unless we import from an area that had it. And so that's, which is already happening in some because our seed's short. And when there's a problem in one area, we have a tendency to even it out and spread it around. So um, generally speaking, um, I think we're in pretty good shape from the disaster sort of inexpensive diseases and control things. So that's there. Do you think that's mostly a climate thing right now? Or do you think it is, you know, better products that we have that are better controlling the late blight? Well, we got host pathogen environment for the disease triangle, you know, triangle. We've had, we've, we've not had the pathogen. Right. One. And, and we can bring it in any time. We know we have the host, but our environment was not suitable for it. So, um, you know, we, we could get the pathogen and have the environment help us. But if we have a suitable environment, if we don't have the pathogen, and, and I'm not expecting it to be here. We've not, I think, three years ago, maybe, maybe three or four, there was a little teeny bit in where Maine and New Brunswick, we have a common border that you know, what happens and one happens in the other, we, and we communicate back and forth. We just haven't seen it. So I figure it takes three years to flush it out. So we've done that. Right. Good. That should be a good sign. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a question come in through the chat. Um, a hot topic here in Ontario a little bit has been uh, the use of uh, GA or gibberellic acid on, on seed. Do you have any, uh, any recommendations or thoughts on using GA on seed? GA on seed is used in parts of the world. It's used in Florida as well, too. Um, I think that everybody who's used GA, GA on seed will tell you they've screwed up once, too. So um, if, if the purpose is to get more tubers or, or something like that, I think you are going to get that with the older seed. And you're going to see your, your season a little shorter. Because it just isn't going to have as long an arm in the field that the old seed. I think you're already there. GA on seed is is a very dicey thing. I would not treat everything all at once. I would be looking variety by variety and just take a little look see as a grower till you get comfortable with it. But it is it you, you mess that up. I can tell you this year you will not be able to replace your seed. Right, because supplies are tight. And- oh yeah, not this year. So certain varieties, what certain varieties would you recommend using GA on then? Or what or characteristics generally? The ones that I'm that I'm familiar that are used are generally the chipping varieties that are 
because that's what's that's in that area where they do that. I don't know as a, a variety specific thing. I would be one to a little cherry to give a, an answer to that. Okay, that sounds great. Um, seeing no more coming in um, and no hands up. Um, appreciate it, Steve. This show is put on by the Great Lakes uh, Vegetable Producers Network, which is a group of extension uh, educators and researchers across the Great Lakes region. Sponsored, of course, by the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center. So thank you. Uh, we broadcast live every, uh, every Wednesday via Zoom at 12.30 Eastern, 11.30 Central. Every Wednesday from the first week of March to the first week of September. So interviewing farmers, researchers, and others about topics relevant to uh, vegetable growers. So next week on tap, we have uh, Ben Phillips, who's interviewing uh, Naeem Edwards with MSU Extension and Micah Hutchinson from Genesee County Conservation District. And they're uh, discussing uh, water use efficiency and access in, uh, in urban farm environments. So uh, stick around or catch that next week. Um, with that, thank you again, Steve. Really appreciate having you on. I really enjoyed it. And uh, with that, I'll, uh, I'll let Snop and Tom, uh, the Canadian legend, play us out. Really appreciate it. Hey, no worries. Had a blast. It was easier than working. <laughs> Glad to hear. Good show, buds. Now let's wrap it up with a song. Now from getting seed up to planting time, their quality can improve like wine. The old ones will sprout the most, it's the way it goes. In order to get the most uniform stand, you cut them down and sort them by hand. Or with a machine, you'll be feeling grand with another big load of potatoes. From flood to bud, you prevent dud dud before you load the planter smiling. There's rules of thumb you might think are dumb, but they keep those taters piling. They keep those taters piling. Now a lot of growers don't think much of seed with disease. Yeah, a grower's been looking for silver bullets to get a uniform stand that grows to the fullest that won't rot in the ground from that son of a gun. Black leg. Inspect the bags for that certified line. To plant bad seed could be seen as a crime. Good sanitation pays dollars for dimes and another big load of potatoes. From spud to bud to prevent a dud before you load the planter smiling. There's rules of thumb you might think are dumb, but they keep those taters piling. They keep those taters piling. Now I know a lot of growers from east to west. They ensure that their spuds can grow the best. With seed treatments they invest, follow the label. So when all those taters are rolling on the chain, they know they've dodged a mighty big pain. From spud to bud, the plans were laying for another big load of potatoes. From spud to bud, to prevent a dud, before you load the planter, smiling. Listen to what you've been told. For the best doggone potatoes that ever been growed. And to keep those taters piling, to keep those taters piling. All right, so I just leave. I'm out of here. Yeah, you're good to go. Checks in the mail. I love it. That's right. Bye for now. Johnson out.